All right, if you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 20 again. Exodus chapter 20, our passage is going to be verses 4 to 6. But I want you to turn to verse 1, if you would. We're going to read the whole um, section of the Ten Commandments, but we're going to focus in on verses 4 to 6. And we're going to continue our series on the Ten Commandments. And in many ways, the text that we're going to look at today really goes hand in hand with the text that we looked at last week, which was, Don't have any other gods. Now, today's commandment, like I say, goes hand in hand. The, the first commandment is kind of an overarching uh, commandment. This is more specific. The, the first commandment is, is, um, applies more to what goes on on the inside. In other words, uh, where we put our, our trust, where we put our affections, where we, uh, those things that we order our lives around. And this one talks about more what we would think about when we think about idolatry proper. Uh, that is having some kind of an image a statue, whatever it is, that one bows down to and worship. Now, you might be, uh, you might be thinking that, um, that there's not idolatry here in America. But I'm going to tell you there is idolatry here in America. There's idolatry in southwest Missouri, and there may even be some idolatry in our hearts today. Now, we usually think about idolatry, uh, people who practice idolatry, as, as the unreached natives, don't, I, don't you? You think about those who are out in the rainforest who are dancing around the fires, they bow down to the statues, they do all those things. We think of that as being idolatry, and it is. But I'm going to tell you that, that idolatry can happen even here in our own backyard. Now, um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to tell you at the outset, I'm not going to try to make anybody mad. But I'm probably going to meddle a little bit. Okay, so um, you say, well, Pastor, I don't think there's any idolatry here in America. I'll just go ahead and just say what I'm thinking. There's a little game going on today you may have heard about. It's called the Super Bowl. And I tell you, there are people who, who are worshiping at the altar of the Super Bowl today. They're not worshiping at the house of God. They are worshiping at, uh, at their TVs. But anyway, I digress. If you found Exodus 20... I'd like you to stand with me if you're able. We're going to pick up in verse 1 and read all Ten Commandments. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, your Bible may say a graven image, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thank you. you may be seated. 
Now, as we start to look at this, and, and you look back at verse 4, my translation says, don't have an idol. Your Bible may translate that, and, and you may be familiar with the terminology of don't have any graven images. And as we work our way through what this, what this command means, I think first we should talk about what it does not mean. Because when you look at verse 4, some people look at that and say, well, this is some kind of an absolute prohibition against uh, statues or art or images of some kind, photographs maybe, and therefore they think it's wrong to do things like take a family picture. And so the Amish, for instance, they don't want their picture taken because they feel that that is a violation of this command. I've read that, that Amish dolls don't actually have faces because they see that as making an image of something that's on the earth beneath. And so is God saying here that we can't have pictures of our family, we can't have a picture of a, a scene from nature, we can't have some kind of a knickknack in our home? Is that what the Bible is saying? I think the Bible is, is very clear that is not what is being said because God himself commanded figures to be made. I'll give you some examples. In Moses' day, in the book of Numbers, God, um, God had led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. They were out in the wilderness. They were, they were going around and they kept grumbling and complaining over and over and over again. They kept putting God to the test. And one day they started to complain. You remember what God did? He sent fiery serpents in their midst. And those fiery serpents began to bite the people. And some of them were dying. And they cried out to, to Moses. And they said, intercede for us. And Moses interceded. And God said, here's what you do. I want you to, well, I'll just, I'll just read it for you. The, uh, the text is Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Now I just want to pause here. Jump ahead to the New Testament. You remember Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, just as Moses was lifted, uh, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the text that Jesus is referencing. But anyway, God says, make this serpent. You say, well, maybe that was made out of papyrus or something. Maybe it wasn't like an actual metallic uh, object. Verse 9. And Moses made a bronze serpent, that's metal, and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit a man, when he looked on the bronze serpent, he lived. So this was not the breaking of a commandment of God. This was not God saying, don't have any kind of graven images. Oh, make a graven image. God's not commanding his people to violate his own command. What would have been an issue is if the people would begin to worship that serpent. Now, you may, may have noticed this at some point whenever you've read the Bible. They actually did that. In the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, it talks about Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. He was a good king. And 2 Kings 18.4 says, He, Hezekiah, removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. Now, when God was, was dealing with his people in that sense, he said, make this serpent. Another time, whenever God was commanding uh, the people to make it the Ark of the Covenant, you remember he said one of the things that should be on the Ark were what? On the very top, on the mercy seat? There are cherubim, angels. In, uh, in, Moses, or not Moses, in Solomon's temple, there was a brazen sea, and it was supported on 12 metal oxen. 
So was God commanding his people to violate his own commands? And the answer to that is obviously no. Having a picture of your kids, having a picture of grandma and grandpa, those things are not a violation of this command. Having a, a, a shelf full of knickknacks, having, uh, having uh, some image in your home is not wrong in and of itself. But God says it becomes a problem when you start to worship those things. He says, do not have these images. And the very next verse says, don't worship them. You shall not worship them or serve them. So to understand what is wrong with idolatry, we need, to, we need to think about what idolatry is and how it applies to this command. Now I mentioned this last week, but idolatry is really a matter of the heart first. It's where we put our affections. It's where we put our trust. And so idolatry, when we, when we speak of these things, idolatry is those things that, that, they're those things that we worship or we believe has some kind of a supernatural power besides God, some kind of divine power besides God. And we begin to trust in those things instead of putting our trust in the Lord. Now, now idolatry in the sense of worshiping a false god, that's easy to see, right? But sometimes there are people who do things that, that don't seem quite as bad. Maybe, maybe they pray. The problem is they pray to somebody other than God. Maybe they pray to Mary or the saints or a statue of an angel or an image of Buddha. But more subtle forms of idolatry don't look like idolatry in our lives. Some more subtle forms of idolatry look more like superstition. And I'm going to hopefully get into that. When I was growing up, if you wanted to be lucky, you got a little object. Now, this is going to date me because I don't think anybody does this anymore. But when you wanted to be lucky, you got a rabbit's foot. Anybody remember getting a rabbit's foot? They were about, about this big and might have a little, uh, little chain thing. Now, I probably have one laying around in a box somewhere. But if you wanted to be lucky, you got a rabbit's foot. And most people saw that as the hogwash that it is because a rabbit's foot doesn't have any kind of supernatural power. But there are many people today who have good luck charms. They'll have a bracelet. They'll have a necklace. They'll have some kind of a, some kind of a, a charm that they're convinced has some sort of supernatural power. Maybe it's a rabbit's foot. You might remember a horseshoe. You remember having a horseshoe over the door? Superstition. That's the idea that, that, that if I just do the right thing with this horseshoe that good luck's going to come my way. Somebody may have a, a necklace with a, a cross on it, for instance. And they're convinced, if I just wear this necklace with the cross, good things are going to happen to me. That'll keep the bad stuff from happening to me. They put their faith in this cross, in this charm. Some people may have a, a picture or a statue in their home that when they go buy it, they may reach out to touch it. They may bow down to it as if that thing... That piece of porcelain that was made in a sweatshop in China has some of God's divine essence within it. That's a bunch of nonsense. They may be beautiful things. They may have sentimental value to us. But those things are not endowed with God's presence. Those things are not divine. But listen, when you trust in those things instead of trusting in God, you're moving your your focus from where it should be and you're in, in essence engaged in idolatry. But listen, it's not just objects that can become idols. Traditions and beliefs can become idols too. Now, I said I'm not trying to make anybody mad. But I just want you to think about some of those things that become idols in our lives. Now, I'm just going to skip over all the foolishness of superstitions like throwing salt over your shoulder if you spill it. 
Anybody ever, I'm not going to ask if you've done that. But I'm sure that the person sitting behind you at the restaurant would appreciate you not doing that, right? I'm going to skip over those silly things. And I want to talk about some sacred cows that we have. Individuals have sacred cows. Churches have sacred cows. But somebody has said, sacred cows make delicious hamburgers. So let's, let's just kind of grind some of these up. What are some beliefs or traditions that, that can creep into our lives and in essence become an idol? Well, really, in a broad sense, it's whatever that we trust in to make us righteous before God other than Christ. Okay, now, now this is not a new problem. This is an old problem, and it's a real problem. I, I have Mark chapter 7 uh, for you up on the screen. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. We're going to read about some people that trusted in the things that they did to make them righteous before God. Here's what it says. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, around Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem. And had seen some of his disciples were eating... Uh, were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their food with impure hands? And he said, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So these were people who, they, they weren't just washing their hands to get the dirt off. These were people who would wash their hands in a religious ritual that they thought, if I will do this before I eat, it's going to make me right with God. If I wash this pot in this way, and if I, if I do this and if I do that, that's what's going to make me right with God. And if anybody doesn't do it my way, they're wrong. Not only are they wrong, they're not holy. And in fact, we might say today, they might not even be saved. And people today can do the same thing. They get caught up in traditionalism. One of my professors at school used to say that tradition is the living faith of dead men. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. I I like that. I also read a line recently that said tradition is, it's talking about traditionalism the way that we're using it today. Tradition is peer pressure from dead people. I thought that that was just a great way to put it. That's, here are things that people say. When they have their tradition in the wrong place, we've never done it that way before. Pastor, that's not the way our former pastor did it. Well, I'm going to do it this way. Why? Well, that's the way my grandpa did it. And if you don't do it this way, not only is it just a different way of doing it, you're wrong. There are all kinds of people who make all kinds of rules, especially in those very legalistic environments that say, if you don't do this, this, and this, even though it's not spelled out in Scripture, you're a sinner. You're, you're, you're not right with God. And listen, traditions are good. Traditional, traditionalism is bad. 
Because people put their trust in their routines and their rituals rather than in God to make them right with God. I read a quote this week that I thought was, was really great. It was by a, a Jewish rabbi. I can't remember the exact wording, but it said something to the effect of, the past has a vote, not a veto. The past has a vote, not a veto. We, we should think about the way that we're doing things, but just because we're not doing it the same way doesn't mean that we can't do it that way. So what are, what are some of these things that I'm talking about? Well, a sacred cow in some churches is furniture. So, oh, pastor. Nobody would be so silly as to make a sacred cow out of a, out of a piece of furniture in a church. Well, you've all heard about churches splitting over the color of carpet, the color of seats. I read, a, a, I read an account this week of a pastor who had been at a church for about eight years. So he was not—he was not brand new. Everything was going well, but he began to feel as if the large wooden pulpit that he was standing behind when he preached really was was creating like a barrier between him and his people. And he wanted to be able to get down and move around and stuff and be closer to his people. So, so one day, he asked the custodians after after service on Monday or whatever it was, if they would just move the pulpit out. And instead, he got. A new, a, a smaller, more of a lectern style of pulpit. He went in the next Sunday, and he didn't have any idea what he was in for, because the people he 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 didn't observe that the people there was kind of a, a tension in the air. The people were huddled, whispering. The people were talking, and after the service, he was inundated. With comments, with calls, with emails, people took to social media and began to blast him, not for a moral failing, not for a moral uh, for for teaching a heresy, but because he moved a piece of furniture. That's a sacred cow. Another sacred cow is style of music. Now, some people say the only kind of music that God accepts are hymns. Other people say, no, if it's not been written within the last couple years, that's old and dusty and we need not sing it. I know, I personally know a pastor who was essentially kicked out of the church that he was pastoring and had been for some years because he was leading the church to incorporate more of a musical style that some of the people in the church didn't like. And he was run out of the church, not because of a moral failing, not because of errant doctrine, because of preference. You say, well, pastor, you're, you just got the, the preacher's side. I bet there's some more stuff going on. I talked to somebody that was on the other side of it. Because I, I knew this person. I was friends with this person before all that happened. And I asked him about it, and it, it was 100% preference. I don't like it. We don't like. Some of us don't like this style. He's got to go. Now, I'm, I'm gonna. I, I know I'm probably getting on dangerous ground, but I'm gonna plow ahead. I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. But, but listen, if we get mad because somebody challenges us for putting our faith in something besides Christ to make us right with God, that should be a red flag to us. There, there are some people who can actually make an idol of things like the Bible. 
or more specifically, a preferred translation of it. Everybody has their preferred translation. I'm not knocking it, but some people say, if you don't read my translation, you're not saved. Some people make a sacred cow out of eschatology, of the study of the end things, end times. And they say it's going to be this, and then this, and then this, and I can make a chart, I can make a graph, I can make an outline, I can do whatever. And if you don't believe that, you're not right with God. In fact, I heard a preacher from the pulpit, now I couldn't find the video this week, so I can't quote him, but I believe, if I remember correctly, that he said if somebody didn't have this certain view of eschatology, they were a heretic. About uncertain things. Now, I'm not talking about whether Jesus visibly, physically died on the cross, rose from the dead, is going to come back visibly, triumphantly, physically, all those things. No. We're talking about the timing of, of the rapture and whether there's going to be a rapture uh, in, in the way that we commonly think about it. And, and if so, is it going to be at the beginning, the middle, or the end? And, and how does that rate relate to the millennium and, and all these different things? And he said, if you don't believe this way, you're basically an unbeliever. What about order of worship? There are some churches, if you took the offering up at a different time of the service than what people are used to, there are people, I mean, some churches, you couldn't do that without having five committees discussing it for half a year beforehand. Because if you did it otherwise, you might have a church split. You say, Pastor, you're going to extremes. Listen, that's the type of stuff people put their faith in. If you don't do this, if you don't do it my way, you're wrong. Now, again, we all do the things that we do because we think that they're right. And you may do something different than me, and I say, in my, my mind, I don't think that you're doing that right. My way makes more sense. But if I say, you're doing it this way, and even though there's nothing in the Bible to, to, to give us direction one way or the other, you're doing it that way, it's not my way, therefore you're in sin, that's something different. Now, now we all have preferences. But if you think your pre- preferences are what make you holy... You made your opinion an idol. Now we can go on and on, but we're not going to. I do want us to. I do. I do want us to to think about how how else idolatry is dangerous. Idolatry is dangerous because any idol that we that we come up with is going to fall short of who God is. So in in the context of what he's saying here, if if you look at verses four and five. Take it, take it with verse 3. He says in verse 3, don't have any other gods. And then he says, verse 4, don't make for yourself any graven images. Don't make for yourself any idols. He's saying, number one, don't have an idol. Don't have a statue, an image of a false god. But he's also saying, don't make an image. Don't make a statue that's supposed to represent me, the true God. Why? Because God is an infinite Creator. He's perfect in his nature. He's perfect in his attributes. And anything that we would make would fall short of that. And what happens is when we think about those things, when we see that image, that 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 statue, whatever it is, over and over and over again, we begin to think that that is what God's like. We begin to associate God with that thing. And God says, no matter what you make, it's going to fall short and lower your estimation of me.
And the root problem of this is in verse 5. The reason this is such a big deal, he says, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, here's the reason why, the Lord your God am a jealous God. The root of the problem is that it divides our devotion to God. Now, God says in verse 5, I'm a jealous God. Now, some people, some people say, oh, no, I don't like that because jealousy is bad. So how can God say that he's jealous and it be okay? Well, remember, the meaning of a word is determined by its context, and jealousy can mean envy. It can be looking at something that somebody has and saying, man, I wish I had that said them. That's jealousy. That's wrong. But to be jealous can also mean, and the way it's meant here, is to be zealous for something. Now, for instance, I am jealous of my wife's affections. I'm zealous for those things. I don't want her liking some other guy as much as and in the same way as me. Right? I mean, if you've ever had any significant other, you know that you're jealous for their affections. They're undivided affections. Not because you're envious of that person, but because you have special feelings for them and you want them to have those feelings for you. And God says, don't worship an idol because I'm a jealous God. I'm zealous for your undivided affections. And doesn't he deserve it? It wasn't Allah that saved us. It wasn't our traditions that forgave our sins. It was God and His grace. He deserves our affections. And finally, just very briefly in verse 6, verses 5 and 6, I want you to see the graciousness of God. Verses 5 and 6. If you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, if we take those two verses in isolation from the rest of Scripture, some people might look at that and say, oh, look how mean God is. He's, he's judging the, the kids for the sins of the Father. And you say, well, that, that's what it looks like, Pastor. Is that not what it's saying? Well, no, remember what all of Scripture says. The Bible says that the soul that sins will surely die. The children are not held accountable for the sins of the father. Look at the wording of verse 5. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who love me. Right? Hate me. He plainly says they hate him. These are people who learned the hatred of God, maybe it's through idolatry or something else, from their, their fathers, their mothers, and they're following in that line. And haven't you noticed that a lot of times those people that didn't grow up in church, they had an atheistic family, they had an agnostic family, they had all these things were against God and His things and His people. A lot of times that goes on for a few generations, doesn't it? But I like what one commentator, the way they put it was basically, the excuse that they were raised that way and didn't know any better doesn't hold water with God. Because you can be influenced by the beliefs of your parents, but they are not necessarily going to be yours. But notice the contrast between his judgment and his grace. Verse 6. Judgment to the third and fourth generation, but grace 
to the thousandth. John Calvin once noted that the heart is an idol factory. And I wonder if there's any of us here that have an idol. Do we, do we have some physical object that our actions show we believe has some kind of divine power? And so we trust in that instead of in God. Oh, well, I've got this necklace. I have these charms on a bracelet. I have this, this statue. And I feel that it just keeps me safe. That thing does not have the essence of God in it. It doesn't have divine power. It's a thing that you can go and you can buy in a store. Your, your, your parents, your grandparents, maybe it's an heirloom. They may have made it. They may have got it in the store. But it's not God. And maybe you have some, some object or some picture that you, that you bow to or pray to. Maybe you have a tradition that you think if people don't do things my way, not only is it, well, different strokes for different folks, they're in sin. Your opinion, your preferences have become your idol. You may not have a golden calf, but you can have a sacred cow. Now, if that's you, the Bible says you need to repent. Don't have idols. But listen, sometimes our idol is our pride. Our idol is our, our self-righteousness. Our idol is our own goodness. But listen, those things will not stand up before a holy God. Because even our best things, our righteous deeds, the things that we're proud of, we wouldn't mind if people knew about them. The Bible says they're like filthy rags before God the only way that we can be made right with God is to turn from our sin is to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ then we'll be saved and if you've never done that do that today because when you stand before God and and if he were to ask you why you should get to heaven and you say well because I was such a, a good guy on earth what about that what about that person on the interstate you cut off or cut you off and you sped by and flipped him the bird? What about, what about that, that time that you were harsh with your kids, overly harsh? What about that time that you did and, and, and said things that were untrue? The only perfect righteousness comes from Jesus. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, in all honesty, do you have an idol? Say, no, Pastor, I don't have an idol. These things that I wear, that I have, that I look at, whatever it is, they help me in my worship of God. When the Israelites burned incense to the bronze snake, they probably start out saying, 
this helps me in my worship of God. Don't have any idols means not only don't have an idol of a false god, but don't have something that you say represents the one true God because it's going to fall short. It's going to lower your estimation of him. Him. 